We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. everyone. This is Kelsey Jones, executive editor of Search Engine Journal, and I'm joined here today by my friend Casey Marquis. He's the founder of MediaWise, and he's also the head of SEO support and the lead SEO consultant at searchenginenews.com. Casey, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Kelsey, thanks for having me today. It's always a pleasure to hang out with fellow Kansan whenever possible. Yes, Kansas power. <laughs> Even exactly. though the government right now is not, I'm not so much pro, but Right. Kansas right. as a whole is a good state. Absolutely. <laughs> my my Patronus is still a Jayhawk, so that's a good thing. So. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so when I asked you if you wanted to do a podcast, you came up with a really good topic that I know you did at SMX Advance this year, and you actually got top presentation of the day on SlideShare for that. So you talked about wearables and how SEO plays into that. So I thought it'd be cool to talk about that for this episode of Marketing Nerds. Yeah, uh, and and again, it's really it's a real pleasure to be here today. But yeah, it's a fantastic topic. It's getting getting a lot of press. Apple, of course, just released their quarterly earnings, and of course, the big question was, how many Apple watches did they sell? Everyone was very tight lipped about the numbers. So. We're going to talk today about kind of where the wearables market is, what those numbers mean to Apple, and where as SEOs we should be looking at with regards to this kind of emerging technology in the coming months and years. Yeah, it's something that's so new. I don't even think it's on most people's radar. Yeah, it really it really isn't. When I was speaking at SMX Advanced, we were talking about beacons, which we'll touch upon today, and everyone's like, beacons? Uh, yeah. Wireless Bluetooth beacons. Never heard of those. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because it's still it's still pretty fledging fledgling, even though they've been out for a while. And I know many of you on the call have probably most familiar with beacons in the in the aspect that Facebook has just pushed out over the last couple of months, they're finally pushing out their form of beacons to local businesses who have pages on their platform. So that's probably Minnie's first kind of uh, introduction, so to speak, to the idea of beacon technology. Gotcha. Well, I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but first I thought it'd be useful, you know, because obviously I'm a wearables SEO newbie myself. I mean, I know a little bit about wearables, but that's about it. So do you think you could give us kind of an overview of wearables SEO and sort of the three most important things we need to start looking for as marketers? Absolutely, absolutely. So basically, when we're talking about wearables, we're mostly talking about the rise of smartwatches. And when you think about smartwatches, you think about, well, what is a smartwatch? And basically, the quick and simple de definition is it's just a wrist-worn device with an indication of time and wireless access to the internet. And many of you may be may familiar with maybe Samsung or Pebble or Fitbit. All of those are smartwatch manufacturers, and as of 2014, Samsung, you know, had their Gear S, and they were kind of the big market leader. You know, they had sold like 1.2 million of these Gear S watches in 2014, and then everyone else was, uh, you know, Pebble, Fitbit, Sony, LG. They were all kind of the also Rands, and Apple had publicly stated for a while that they were really going to make a four-way into this. So everyone was excited when the Apple Watch kind of came onto the scene and the uh, 
the estimates of how many they were going to sell were were crazy. I mean, initially, reports were they sold about a million in the first six minutes for pre-orders. Wow. Estimates, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, my wife, we got on. I know she wanted one, so she ended up having to get on. They were released at about twelve oh one in uh, you know early April, and so she got on the computer late at night and managed yeah. to get one. And then they were boom within like eleven minutes of her being online. They were like completely backordered. So wow, you know, so it was pretty interesting. And you know, Apple's always been very tight lipped. They do not announce sales projections, and so the the numbers ran the gamut. People were thinking, well, did they sell two million? Did they sell? 10 million. How many did they sell? And there was some initial production issues. There were some initial issues with the fact that uh, the sapphire glass was was actually scratching a little bit. And they had some initial problems with manufacturing and production. But they, they got those worked out pretty quickly. And basically, even though Apple still hasn't released any figures, most people believe, especially based upon the data that they released on Tuesday for their earnings, they sold about two to two and a half million of these Apple watches so far, which is, again, most kind of the lower end of the estimates. But mm-hmm. that's a $1.5 billion in revenue. And if you think about it, it's insane. So it's uh, Apple pretty much now controls about 75% of the smartwatch market. And Samsung is really the one that's hurting here. I mean, they went from having a 74% share in 2014 to now that they have about a 7.5% share in 2015. And all signs seem to point that Apple has plenty of room to run with the Apple Watch. So if you're looking for a gift to give and receive for Christmas, it's probably going to be an Apple Watch. People are saying that they can probably ship. They've pretty much taken care of the bottlenecks in the production cycle. So expect to see anywhere from low estimate of 15 million to a high estimate of 25 million of these watches being sold by the end of the year. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So does that mean that, you know, if someone's looking to brush up on SEO when it comes to wearables, should they only focus on the guidelines for the Apple watch or is it worth the time to look into, you know, Android gear devices? Right, and that's a very good question. And basically, there's three main players, as you said. The Samsung has the Gear S. That's pretty much run on what's called a Tizen OS system. It's you know, it's not Windows. It's not it's not Android. It's not the iOS system. It's it's a completely third party system. But the Samsung watch is pretty interesting. It it has a browser, so hmm. optimizing for that isn't as tough as say optimizing for Android Gear or the Apple Watch, which currently do not have a browser. Everything is pretty much voice activated. There's lots of hyper local customizations in that and the like. So when we're looking to, you know, especially as SEOs, if you're looking to target this new platform, you really want to kind of focus on three areas. And those are the the voice search area, the hyper local targeting, and then kind of a mobile user optimization. And we can we can go over each of those three quickly if you like. Yeah, that'd be great. So starting off with voice search. Is the strategy for um, voice search that you know people have talked about with Google now and Siri? Is it still kind of the same strategy for that as it is for wearable devices? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty close. I mean, uh, if with regards to the voice search, I mean, when we're talking about voice search, especially on the smartwatches, without the uh, there is no like I said, there's no browser. So Apple, uh, you know, when we talk about voice searches in the niche, we're really talking about how can you as a marketer make sure that you're positioning your client sites 
so they can take advantage of what's called you know the casual conversational and natural content that's going to arise out of these people using their wrist yeah. to conduct internet queries i mean what is it that that we need to know and it, it's it's pretty interesting i mean basically when when you don't have a browser on the apple watch it becomes things like how what can we do to optimize for fulfilling our queries on bing pretty much like uh with the Apple Watch, they're pretty much still using, you know, the Siri aptitudes, and Siri is pretty much powered by Bing and kind of some 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 proactive data coming in from that through user data and device overlays. And then you've got the Android, which of course is still using the Google Now, which is pretty much powered by, of course, Google. And so we want to say, well, how can we optimize for both Bing? How can we optimize for Google? And the the strategies really are very similar. I mean, as long as you understand that Siri loves Yelp. You know, Cortana loves Foursquare. Hmm. Both of the watches use Bing, you know, optimizing for natural language. If you can remember things like that, it's it's honestly not that hard. So if you're a local business and you want to make sure that you're positioning yourself, especially for voice searches, you know, you want to make sure that you have a fully claimed profile in Yelp. You know, you want to make sure that you're actually on Foursquare. You want to make sure that, you know, you've somatically marked up your site as much as possible. And, and uh, it's... You know, it, it's just common kind of best practices that, you know, you have covered, you know, over and over again, whether it be, you know, basic SEO at searchengineuse.com or if you go to these conferences, there are so many schematic markup workshops now, it blows your mind. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's not too hard. It's just a matter of making sure that you understand that voice searches are really where the future is. So if you can design your content to be, you know, casual, conversational and, and the like, you're going to be very successful. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, just making it common sense and the information easily findable for if someone couldn't see a browser window. Exactly. And, and all of this kind of flows out, especially with Google. You know, Google is still, again, the big, the big game in town. So when we talk about Google and we want to optimize for Android specifically, and even to some extent uh, Siri, because Siri still does pull data over from the Knowledge Vault in Google in many aspects. But what you want to do is you want to understand, you know, how the Knowledge Vault works. What is Google using to populate semantic search? You know, we I'm sure many of you listening on the call are familiar with that very from strings to things, which is the whole point of the Knowledge Panel and the whole point of the rise of this Knowledge Vault and these featured snippets and answer boxes you see populating so many of your searches right now in Google. Understanding how those things work, you know, understanding that there is a one-to-one flow basically in the search result about, you know, with these answer boxes, you know, how do these answer boxes get generated? You know, what is, what is, what are entities? You know, Google is pretty much using, going from a keyword focus to an entity classification. So if you have a web page and you want it to perform well on smartwatches, as an example, you'd want to make sure that you understand the entities that make up everything on that page. You know, if you're going to design a page around Abraham Lincoln, for example, you'd want to make sure that you understand that the top entity classifications for Abraham Lincoln are things like, you know, his wife Mary, or the Emancipation mm-hmm. Proclamation, or his assassin John Wilkes Booth, and putting together a page that covers all of those entities is going to make it easier for you to generate these voice searches because basically especially on Android if you're if you're generating the answer box you're also going to be generating the first result that Google's serving on Google Now especially for your Android device. Yeah, I think the knowledge graph the results um, are 
that, that pairs up well with wearables because a lot of the things that people will use a wearable device for is the same thing that the knowledge graph helps serve web users. So like you said, it'd be common things about popular topics or about the topics at hand. So, mm -hmm. you know, for sports, it makes sense to have a page that was a list of the championships if you ran um, a Lakers fan site. It, it makes sense to have a page that listed all their championships or something like that. Is that the kind of top-level information that works to optimize for wearables when it comes to the knowledge graph? Oh, that's one That's one way to look at it. They're, basically, Google still uses about these – they use what their four trusted sources – to power the knowledge graph. And the first one is Wikipedia. That's why you see so many of these Wikipedia answer boxes. Google refers to answer boxes as featured snippets. So in case anyone's not familiar with the hmm. nomenclature there, we'll all interchangeably refer to both. So whether it's answer boxes or featured snippets, we're talking about the same thing. Okay. So when Google is powering the knowledge graph, they're pretty much using four sources. And of course, Wikipedia is the first. And then they previously, uh, they were using Freebase, which was uh, which Google had purchased a while back. But they've now decided they're shutting that down, and they can, they discontinued using that in June. And instead, they're replacing that with data from Wikidata.org. So you've got Wiki, Wikipedia, you've got Wikidata.org, you've got Google Plus because it's able to pull over tons of information from verified the Google Plus profiles and from Google Plus business pages. And of course, you've got the probably the most important one, which is Schema. You know, schematic markup. You've probably seen a big push recently with Google to move to JSON markup, which is very interesting. I expect that JSON markup is going to be the standard very soon. But whether you're focusing on microdata or microformats or just regular schema or JSON, they all do the same thing, which is communicate in a finite way how Google can view your page. So as long as you're, if you, if there is a specific schema that would improve how Google sees your page, you should be using it. And that, that's everything from open graph tags with Facebook to Twitter age cards to just, you know, schema, product, recipe, article, and the like. Gotcha. Making sure that you mark those up. And Russ Jones with Angular Marketing had a really good article about a month and a half ago now, on what he called million-dollar answer boxes, and it's just hmm. it's just an analysis of how awesome and, and the powerful some of these answer boxes are being pulled in. A lot of people were upset because many people viewed these answer boxes as just a way to keep people on Google and not go not send them directly to the result. But Russ's research shows that the, some of these answer boxes are, like he said, million-dollar plus in annual revenue because they're so powerful. And so, if you are a business, and you're wanting to generate answer boxes, you know there are a couple things you can do. You know, making sure that you have a lot of incoming link, linking domains, making sure that you have a lot of content-rich, content-lengthy content of you know a thousand words plus. Cognitive SEO had some great research on this back in July of 2014. That really hasn't changed. It seems to be that if you want to get pulled into the answer boxes, you have to have, you know, content of 1,000 plus words, and you really do have to have a, a lot of linking root domains. So something to think about if you've got a weak backlink profile right now, it's going to inhibit your ability to generate those. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I know that knowledge, the whole knowledge graph, is probably a, a whole other presentation or podcast right. on itself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I know you had mentioned when you were talking about the four sources that um, Google pulls from, one of them was Google+. And so I know in your presentation at SMX Advanced, you talked about hyperlocal targeting. And mm -hmm. I think 
that makes sense because I think if I had an Apple Watch, the things that I would use it most for is finding things in my local area. You know, when does Home Goods close or exactly. what's the number for this? And so how can marketers optimize for that type of information in the hyper local market for wearables? Exactly. And this is the most I think this is the most interesting section of all because Many of you might be familiar with the movie Minority Report. It was a Tom Cruise movie released several years ago. Exactly. And there actually, there's a new CBS show coming out updating Minority Report. So I'm excited about that. So, of course, as is my, you know, as is my lot in life, Kelsey, every time I like a show, it tends to be canceled. So I'm, (laughs) that's, I expect that it will get canceled very quickly. But this new Minority Report, basically in that movie, you see Tom Cruise running through a mall and he's served these gap ads. And that movie set in 2054, but what's amazing is a lot of that stuff is currently happening right now. And wearables SEO is really kind of like convenience marketing. You know, we're you're delivering a personalized marketing message for a product or service in, in real time mm-hmm. to a target consumer on your wrist exactly when they need it. And so as marketers, how do we how do we do that? How can we push out those kind of messages when we know it's going to be most qualified and it's going to be most time sensitive for the user? And you do that with beacons. And I mentioned kind of beacons earlier, but basically beacons are a uh, – they're pretty badass. I mean I can't say enough about them. We could talk for days about those. But basically beacons are uh, kind of briefly defined. It's uh, They're kind of location-aware, low-cost transmitters that use Bluetooth technology and geofencing to provide kind of a level of micro-locational targeting on people either walking by your store or in your store or in a specific fenced-in area. And Apple has kind of the accepted standard right now. It's called iBeacon. Samsung has their own version called PlaceEdge, but pretty much Apple iBeacon is cross-platform compatible. It'll work across, you know, Android or uh, you know iOS or you know whatever it is that you're targeting. The iBeacon technology will work. And how these work is that, and, and they're really starting to take off. Basically, what it does is it allows retailers to push out ads or discounts to users in their store as they're walking by, by their phones. And you could do that through an app. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where you don't even need an app. It'll all be built into the phones. And so when someone walks by and, you know, maybe they're, we know based upon their past buying patterns that maybe they're they're in a mall and they're walking by Gap, the Gap, the Gap will be able to serve a message saying, hey, come back in. You were here three months ago to buy a shirt. Well, we've got the same shirt on right now for a 25% discount. And so this is really where the future retail is going. And the beacons are pretty awesome, and we won't cover them too quickly, but uh, I would urge you to check out sites like getbleep.com. That's G-E-T-B-L-E-E-P.com. They're based in Singapore. Estimote, E-S-T-I-M-O-T-E.com, or Sensora, S-E-N-S-O-R-O.com. To kind of give you an idea of what the pricing of beacons are, the beacons are about the size of a quarter, and uh, you can buy them in packs of three with appropriate software for about $99 or packs of nine for about 269 And art galleries are starting to include these beacons so that as people wander through the art gallery and look at different pictures, they're served customized information on the exhibit when they enter a geofenced area, which is pretty awesome because yeah. you can control that by GPS. And, of course, you know there's, there's uh, retailers like uh, – Mars Supermarkets, which is based in Indiana, they were one of the first ones to roll out a kind of an actual Apple Watch specific beacon promotion. They're a grocery train. There's about 75 stores there, and they're reporting that it's just been a fantastic cover customer service uh, extender for them 
basically the shoppers who have the Apple Watch, and again, it's still a, a small but growing mm-hmm. minority niche. Those shoppers that have the watch tend to be targeted. They can be targeted ads as they walk through the store or be reminded of things that they need. So if they know that they're out of milk and they've done an online list, the store will show them through the app that, hey, you know, you don't forget the milk. By the way, it's located 20 feet to your left. Gotcha. You know, it's very, very fascinating. So I expect that that's going to go. And the beacons are really in the infancy right now. There's about there's a less than 500,000 installed beacons U.S. right now, but most estimates are that there'll be about four and a half million installed beacons in the U.S. by 2018. So gotcha. it's going to be pretty amazing. And I well, and I don't want to hijack you know the conversation talk about beacons, but I just had a question that mm-hmm. you know came up when you're explaining. Are they permission based? So does the user opt in to you know letting Marsh Supermarkets or whoever else let them send uh, messages, or is it something where you know just so you know, anytime you go into Marsh Supermarkets, you may get you know binged? How does that work? That's a very good question, and that's one of the big caveats about it is that right now, mostly especially with the Mars Supermarkets ad, you have to have the app to access the beacon. So it's really permission-based in the fact that you've downloaded the app and therefore you're allowing Mars Supermarkets to kind of target you with these beacon messages. Facebook, you may have heard, recently launched their beacons. And so if you have a Facebook beacon, that's really not permission-based because anyone who has Facebook installed on your phone and you walk into someone who has a beacon, mm-hmm. they can target you with a beacon ad. So basically the, the Facebook beacons are a little bit more overt they mm-hmm. they will they will give you a kind of a nudge say hey you've never been here before why don't you check in oh and by the way here's a special you know here's a here's a notation about the place the facebook beacons are very limited very limited and you can only get one of them so basically one facebook beacon covers a location which really kind of defeats the whole point of the personalized attention that the beacons provide but it's a way for facebook to kind of get in on the game they're trying to actively compete against yelp and they want to do that by driving more check-ins and more reviews. And the beacon is their way of really making a dent in all of Yelp's data. And so far, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll be curious to see how it, you know, ends up and how, you know, what the results are. Yeah, hopefully, I'm I'm looking at some data right now, so hopefully, I'll have more of that to present when I present at PubCon Las Vegas in October. Awesome. So that'll be really cool. So yeah, and the, the other area that we're going to talk about is the mobile user optimization. And, and basically the future of mobile, especially with these smartwatches, is all about the rise of the digital concierge. And you mentioned it kind of briefly about how, you know, when you're walking down the street or maybe you want to be giving directions or like, you know, where's the nearest gas station? Mm-hmm. The wearables now can actually navigate you there by uh, these little haptic nudges of various vibration on your wrist. Oh, cool. It's pretty crazy. Like, So, for example, if my wife is driving down and she's looking for directions, she'll do the directions through her phone. But then on her watch as she's driving, she'll receive a haptic nudge telling her when an upcoming left-hand turn is coming. Wow. It's and so amazing. she won't have to look at her phone. She can just tell nope. yeah. by feel. It's totally automatic right now, which is crazy. So that is actually happening right now. And eventually what we want to have happen is that you can just go to your watch and it's kind of like the kit watch. It's kind of like the Knight Rider watch where you just go to your watch and ask a yes or no question and the wearable will answer you via haptic nudges of various vibration. You know, am I getting closer or what is this or where where can I do this? And it's not like just going to show you the information. It's going to tell you, you know, through, you know, various stimuli, whether that's haptic responses of vibration or maybe it's just going to 
to shout it out. Gotcha. You know, the one of the biggest you can call it a downside or a detriment of Google Now is that there really isn't a lot of voice stuff there. It's all yeah, just no. you know, the Google Now cards pop up and the Google Now cards are great. You're like wondering like, God, how did Google know that my friend's flying in on that flight. I know. Course, I always you know, think that. I know. Yeah, and of course, you know, it's mining everything through Gmail, which is insane. But this is it's gonna take that to the next level. It's gonna actually start to vocally tell you, you know, hey, by the way, your friend's flying in, you need to do this, you know, or something along those lines. And so that brings us to one of those the reason that they're doing this is there's a term for that and it's called glanceable marketing. And the glanceable marketing is kind of like the new touch for wearables. The, the wearables, especially with Android and, of course, with the Apple Watch, is that they want to have the ability to convey kind of specific, relevant information in a minimalist way as possible. We don't want to take the user out of their current activity or experience, like driving. So hence the haptic responses. You know, We don't want the user to have to glance at the watch or at a phone while they're driving. That's unsafe. Mm-hmm. So that's where the glanceability comes in. And, of course, you've got such a small screen. You know, the Apple Watch is about 38 and 44 millimeters. Gear is a little bit bigger, like it's about 58, but that's just not a lot of space to display information. So you you use, you know, Android Wear has these really kind of very concrete, very formatted, regimented guidelines for design. And one of the things that they emphasize considerably is glanceability. They want to get everyone who's designing apps for Android specifically to surface very short information snippets. And Apple's kind of taken that to the next step. They've actually pushed out a press release saying that they're going to reject Apple Watch apps that don't provide any value. So if you just want to provide an app that tells you the time or mm-hmm. doesn't really further the experience in any way, that app is not going to be approved. Yeah, so it sounds like they're looking for apps that provide the bare bones information of what the user needs while they're doing something else. Exactly, exactly. So it's one of those things where if you know you, you don't understand what iOS optimization is or if you don't understand deep linking and uh, what it is that your app is trying to communicate, those are things that you as an SEO really kind of want to start investigating just so that you can communicate those principles to your, to your clients. Most people don't want to embrace apps because they think they're too much trouble, but now with Google servicing apps in search, and you know the, mm-hmm. the really big rise of app indexing, it, most 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 businesses, most brands, really should start thinking about well, how can I get an app? How will an app enhance what I can do for my customers? And it, you know, it's just more visibility in the search results, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, I think a lot of times people have thought or companies have thought that apps are just something extra they have to do, but now right. it's almost like. In order to get discovered on these different platforms, it's important to have an app. Uh, it really is. And I guess digital marketers need to be asking themselves, you know, a couple things. Does my app provide a just-in-time benefit? Is there something that I can do with an app that I can take and embrace these new emerging technologies, whether it's the Apple Watch or Android Gear or, or I'm sorry, the, you know, the Android Watch or just the Samsung Gear or some of the others? And then, you know, what is the optimal context and timing for my service? How can I, how can I put forth a message that is going to be related, but it's in a minimalist way that doesn't take the user out of their experience? And then, you know, things like, is there a proximity component? How does it depend not only on my location and buying stage, but, you know, on time of day and activity or mood? What can I do to enhance that ability to reach my customer at a certain time? And and then, of course, the most important thing is just how does the messages look? Like you said, we don't want to have – you have a very small screen there. You want to make sure that you're optimizing for 
that viewing experience. And, you know, a lot of the big brands are just nailing this out of the gate. Uh, one of the best Apple Watch apps out there is from Marriott. Oh, wow. Of all places. Yeah, Marriott was very good about this. They they have a really minimalist app that does a ton of stuff. Basically, I'm a Marriott Rewards member, which is pretty cool. So I just installed it on, on Tiff's watch, on my wife's watch, so that we could test it out. And it allows you to check in in advance. I can receive prior notifications when my room is ready, and I can use it to check out at any of a 4,000-plus hotels. I don't have to go to the internet. I don't have to go to my phone. I can do it all from the watch. Wow, that's awesome. It's, it's pretty awesome. And there's voice alerts on there as well. So it's, again, it's it's still a, a very nascent industry. There's a lot of room to grow, and it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Yeah, I agree. So to kind of wrap everything up, if, you know, if our listeners out there, they work for, you know, a major corporation or even a smaller company, and they want to know how to kind of get started with dipping their toes into wearables SEO, where do you think they should start by building an app that works with um, the wearables market or what uh, that's would you a suggest? Good, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think what you'd want to do first is kind of just do a little bit of research, you know, find out if there's anyone in your niche already using an app. More importantly, do they have an app that's maybe they have an app for, you know, iPad, I, iPhone, but they haven't given, you know, they haven't done an app specifically for the Apple Watch. And, and Apple's really big on that. They don't want you just to convert your existing iPad or iPhone app into an Apple Watch app. They want a unique uh-huh. app that qualifies, that, that's qualified for that platform. So look around. Maybe your client has an existing app already. Maybe we can design a new app that's going to be more effective on the Apple device itself, on the Apple Watch device. Also look in your niche, see what other people are doing. Maybe Maybe an app is not for you, but maybe you could do something with the beacons. If I was a local business, uh, car dealerships are a great example of this. You know, if I was a car dealership, I would really look at getting an Apple Watch app up and input beacons right away because you could target those people as they're walking around the lot variously with various offers or, or maybe, you know, they can complete tasks. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess a good example would be the Cleveland Cavaliers were one of the first people to start using beacons and they were using them through their through through pretty much mobile apps. And how the beacons worked in the Cavalier Stadium was they would target people where they were setting with offers. They would also let them know at the end of each quarter where the closest bathroom was. And what they did, what the app do, did was just find needs identified needs and then fulfilled those needs to identify targets. And so I would, for anyone on the call listening to this, I would start finding out, identifying what those needs may be and then determining whether or not there's an app or an opportunity here for you to fulfill those needs in a new novel and expedited way. Awesome. Well, I think that's really good advice and thank you so much for educating us and the rest of the audience on wearables SEO. My pleasure, Kelsey. I know it's a very interesting subject. I've enjoyed uh, a ton of learning how it goes, and there's so much to learn. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was great talking to you again, Casey Marquis and Kelsey Jones of Search Engine Journal for Marketing Nerds. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.